Today's scripture reading is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His, bu- his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had, had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until, he, until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the, Lord, the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, pour out your Holy Spirit on me and on all of us gathered here. Lord, take my words and make them yours. Take all of our thoughts and make them yours. And take our hearts and set them on fire for you. Father, we love you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, Mary and Joseph, um, because of these events in their life, end up as two of the most important figures in all of human history. And yet, we know almost nothing about them. They're really not actually central characters in the gospel story. I mean, Mary, Mary gets her bit here in the beginning, and so does Joseph, and, and they're mentioned in this story. And then they're, they're mentioned again when Jesus is 12 and they take him to the temple and then they forget him there. Right? What parent hasn't done that? <laughs> and, and then Mary is present at a couple of other places in his life when he's an adult and he begins his ministry, uh, including uh, at the foot of the cross as he's dying. And that's it. That's really all the scripture gives us about them. Uh, but for, for obvious reasons, Christians have been fascinated by them for centuries. And, and, and of course, there are entire uh, books written about this, and, and some Christian traditions have a lot to say about Mary and who she was and what she was like, and some don't. Um, most of, of, of that is informed by what's not in the Gospels. So Joseph is not around after that story when Jesus is 12 and they forget him in the temple. He's, he's gone. So we're pretty sure that he died before Jesus ever began his ministry as an adult. Um, which, by the way, means that Jesus knows exactly how painful it is to lose a parent. Uh, I find that somewhat comforting a little bit. He, he, he went through the exact same sorts of losses that we all 
will suffer. Um, so Joseph dies at some point. Um, there's, there's a mention in a few places of Jesus' brothers. And then there's this weird moment when, when Jesus is on the cross right before he dies, when he looks down and, and sees his mother standing next to the disciple John and tells John to take his mother into his household and care for her for the rest of his life. And he does so. He cares for Mary until she dies. Which is really weird because if she had other children, normally they would be the ones to take care of it. So a lot of what people, uh, in, and in particular the early church, the church of the first few centuries of its existence, had to say about Mary was trying to puzzle out uh, a lot of this stuff, right? Why, why did John have to take care of her? Why wasn't Joseph there? Why did he die so young, etc.? Um, and so there, there's all sorts of traditions, but one of the most common ones actually pops up in a document called the Gospel of Mary, which is you know, obviously not a gospel in the scripture sense, but it's a letter that was widely circulated and it was really popular. You can go read it on the internet now today. It's free. Um, it's real short and it's a really interesting read, but it's a completely different story about Joseph and Mary than what we've ever heard. Um, because as they were trying to make sense of the weird things that happened, why Joseph's not there, why he died so young, why Mary had to be taken care of by John, the, the solution they came up with is that, well, when Mary was a little girl, uh, she, was, she was dedicated to the service of the Lord from a young age, and so she would have lived in the temple. And, and she would have lived there until she was about 12, at which point the priests of the temple had a problem because she was about to, to get her first period, as girls do around that age. And, and the issue for them is, when that's happening, she can't be in the temple. It's not allowed under Jewish law. And so for most women, that's not an issue. But if you live in the temple, it becomes kind of a problem. So their solution was to marry her off, which I think seems a little drastic. Um, but because she was dedicated to the service of the Lord, they, they felt like they couldn't just marry her off to anybody. She needed to uh, have someone who would not want to consummate the marriage. So they rounded up all the widowers in the area, all the men who had dead wives and who presumably would be old and not interested, and had them draw straws, and Joseph won the contest. So the early tradition goes that Joseph was an old man whose wife had died and, and who had grown children from his first marriage, which are Jesus' brothers, and that he is tasked by the high priest of the temple to take this young girl into his household, marry her so she gets all the legal protections involved in that, and, and then not do anything else. And then he has a big problem because then she turns up pregnant and they say, Joseph, <laughs> you weren't supposed to do that. Uh, and it's, it's obviously, it's a weird story and it's not really what we would think at all, right? Most of the time when we talk about Mary and Joseph, we imagine them as a young couple and, and they're normal people who are being betrothed to be married. Um, but you know, whichever story is true doesn't really matter because the, the, the main point of it is the same either way. Joseph has a major problem. Here's a woman who he's supposed to marry, who he is also not supposed to have touched, who is pregnant. Now, he knows it's not his. He's pretty sure. But no one else is going to believe that story. Right? Anyone who looks at the two of them is going to say, yeah, sure, okay, you don't know who it is? Yeah, come on. So he has a problem. Now he's faithful to the law. The law says he can't marry her. She's pregnant. And he knows it's not his, even if no one else does. So in his mind, he can't marry her. That's what the law says. However, if he makes that public, and if he starts telling people why he's not going to marry this girl, it's a pretty good chance she'll be put to death. 
And if she's not put to death, and if, she, if, she's, uh, if her life is spared, then more than likely her own family would cast her out. And she would be forced to resort to prostitution or begging to feed herself and feed her child. So he decides to divorce her quietly. Now, there's a lot of compassion in there, right? Obviously, he doesn't want to cause, he wants to minimize the, the pain and the suffering caused here. But it's important to realize this is going to bring a lot of shame and problems on Joseph himself. He's not doing some of the things he's supposed to do to clear his own name. Everyone is going to assume for the rest of his life that he has defiled this girl. And he is willing to let that happen, to spare her life. You know, God has a way of calling people to, to do things in his story who we would never pick. Uh, look at King David. When God picks David out as king, he's just a scrawny little shepherd boy. He's the youngest of all the children. He's just the one who lives out in the field with the sheep all the time. We learn as he grows up, he kind of has some violent tendencies. He ends up being a, a famous soldier. In fact, so much so that God won't let him build the temple because he says, there's too much blood on your hands. You cannot build my house. Think about that for a minute. More than that, we know that David has some issues with the ladies. And it's not just Bathsheba. If you read the story, he's constantly flirting with women he should not flirt with. He keeps marrying multiple women, right? This is not what you're supposed to do. And yet, God says, that's, that's the one I want as king. And he unquestionably used him for great purposes. We would never have picked that guy. Even Abraham, who God calls to be the father of his chosen people. You know, Abraham, as they're journeying out looking for their promised land, there are at least two occasions when Abraham bumps into someone, a, a powerful king in the area, who sees how beautiful his wife is, and Abraham lies to them and says, that's not my wife, that's my sister. Because he's worried they'll kill him to take his wife. So what does he do? Naturally, he throws his wife under the bus. Here, you can have her. That's just my sister. If I tried that with my wife, I'd be dead, right? That would not. He does it twice. And then on, on top of that, later on, after God has promised him a son through Sarah, and God has said very clearly, Abraham, you will have a child with your wife. What does Abraham do? He goes to the other woman and says, you know what? I think God was wrong. <laughs> I'm going to make a baby with you. Do you know in the, in the Hebrew, the whole story of Isaac and Ishmael is structured in such a way that it's clearly intended to create sympathy for Ishmael. In other words, the Hebrew writers, when they knew it, knew exactly what this was. They knew it was a tragedy. Feel sorry for this kid. His father was awful. That's Abraham, the, the guy we all say is super righteous, and that the rest of the scripture calls incredibly righteous. The, the template upon which all righteousness is later based, we wouldn't have picked him. The prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah, when they're called to be prophets, both say, God, are you really sure? Because we're not that great. Jeremiah thinks he's too young. Isaiah just thinks he doesn't do a good enough job. In fact, just about all of the prophets have some kind of issue with God calling them to prophetic ministry. And then Jesus picks his disciples, and we would never have picked those disciples. I mean, come on, Peter's kind of a tool. He cuts the guy's ear off in the garden. 
and he's stubborn, and he's the guy who denies Jesus three times on the night he's arrested, after saying, Lord, I would never deny you, right? Peter runs his mouth off. Then there's Paul. Paul is called to be an apostle of Christ after spending years persecuting the Christians. Paul is the Pharisee that half the Gospels are condemning. And God calls him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And if you pay attention to his letters, he's really sarcastic and rude at times. You would not pick him to be a pastor anywhere. He's mean, he's obnoxious. God routinely picks people we would never choose. So Joseph is a carpenter from a small town out in the countryside. He is the picture of an ordinary guy. We would never have picked him for this job. We might have picked somebody from maybe in Jerusalem, maybe who worked in the temple, maybe a high priest who, who was well-versed in the law and the traditions of the people and could, could be trusted to raise the young Jesus in the faith and teach him all he needed to know and, and maybe someone who was wealthy enough to provide everything for him and that we wouldn't have to worry about whether or not the little Messiah would be fed that night or not. We probably would have picked somebody like that. Maybe someone with enough power to protect him in what was a very violent and turbulent time. You know, the, there's multiple points in the gospel where people react to the fact that Jesus is from Nazareth with shock, right? One of them says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Right? Nazareth is a tiny little town in the middle of nowhere who everyone thinks is a little podunk backwater where, where nothing good ever happens. It's that town. Joseph is a hillbilly. He is the person that people in high society look down upon because of where he's from and how he talks. Right? He would have had their equivalent of a country accent. He is not the guy we would have picked. And he's just a carpenter. And really, as far as we know, he never actually does anything all that extraordinary. He's just an ordinary guy. He's a carpenter from a small town, and he raises Jesus to be a carpenter from a small town. And as far as we know, he doesn't really do anything all that exceptional as a father. He even forgets him at the temple one time, right? How many dads have done that? All of them. They've all done it. You forget your kid at the gas station or whatever. I was left at a Walmart. It's okay, I turned out mostly fine. He, d- he does ordinary fatherly things. But, but think about this for a minute. He is the man God chose to raise Jesus. Think about all this entails. He's the one who's going to teach the boy Jesus the faith. He, he's the one who, who will teach him the, the scriptures to read. He's, he's the one who will teach him the, the central prayer of Jewish life, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. They are equivalent of the Lord's Prayer. They pray it every day. That's his job, to teach that to him. He teaches him to pray the Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible. You know Jesus prays the Psalms while he's dying on the cross. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Joseph taught him to pray that prayer in times of trouble. And he would have taught him to be a carpenter. He would have brought him alongside him as he did his work every day, showing him the craft, teaching him to be just like him. That's all he does. Nothing extraordinary. He does all the things that any other Jewish father of his day would have done. 
And really, as far as we can tell, he did no more than that. He's an ordinary guy who was an ordinary father. And his son saved us all. You see, we tend to think that in order to do extraordinary things, in order to be part of God's big plan, we have to be exceptional or special or, or better than someone else at something. But you know, the, the picture that the Bible creates is of God routinely picking ordinary people who we would never have picked and using them for extraordinary purposes. There's this assumption that, that the great heroes of the faith like Abraham and, and David and, and the prophets and, and the disciples and the apostles, that, that they were somehow more spiritual or, or, or smarter or more faithful than the average person. But I would say that the stories actually don't picture it that way. They don't start out that way. They start out just like you and me. Some of them significantly worse at times. And it's, it's through these small acts of ordinary obedience that something bigger happens. See, this, this story tells us already, already, Joseph is faithful to the law. Other translations put it as Joseph was a righteous man. Before he's betrothed to Mary, he's a righteous man. So, so he is already someone who is obedient and, and does the things he's supposed to do and prays every day and goes to, t- to synagogue and worships in the temple and offers his sacrifices and asks the Lord for forgiveness and tries each and every day to be a better and better person and to, re- and to be less and less sinful and more and more holy. His life, he's done that. And it's all ordinary. It's what anyone would expect of a Jewish man in that day and age. And all of that prepares him for the moment when his fiance turns up at his doorstep visibly pregnant. And he knows it's not his child. And all those little small acts of very ordinary obedience, nothing exceptional, All of those shaped him and prepared him for that moment. And in that moment, he made the most merciful and compassionate choice that he knew how to make. And then the angel shows up. God doesn't tell him what he's up to until after he has made the faithful choice. Until after he has extended mercy and compassion in the only way he knows how. Then the angel comes and says, It's okay, actually, she wasn't lying when she said the baby was the Holy Spirit's. And the the incredible thing is, you know, we we tend to stop at that point, right? Oh, good, God told them who it was. Everything's fine. Except, they still have to tell everyone else, we swear we didn't do it. God did it. It's a miracle. Yeah, sure, Joseph. have to realize there's a very good chance Joseph was shunned by his family after this. He may even have been kicked out of his father's house. And he did it anyway. And until that moment 
When he makes that choice, there is nothing all that exceptional about him. He's just an ordinary Jewish man doing the best he can. And, and after that moment, he's still just an ordinary Jewish man doing the best he can. He has one moment where something exceptional happens, and the rest of his life is just ordinary obedience, day in and day out, doing the best he can. And he raised the boy who would die for all our sins. This work of of ordinary obedience, day in and day out, is where God is most glorified. It's It's where God does most of his work. It doesn't just shape us. I mean, it does, right? Daily obedience to God and daily faithfulness and daily prayer and daily scripture readings and and daily striving to be better than you were the day before. This all shapes us and molds us into better people, people who are closer and closer to what God wants us to be, who are more and more like Christ. But you know, it also shapes the people around us and the world around us. Small little things. They shape us and they mold us. And quite often they prepare us for things we never think we could do. The most important thing Joseph did in his life arguably was the choice right then and there to divorce Mary quietly instead of bringing her public disgrace but to try and sweep it under the rug and spare her that shame and that pain and that guilt. Because not only does he literally save her life and the life of the baby, but also in that moment, he, he becomes part of the story. He gets to be the man who raises Jesus. Knowing every day of his life that this is not actually his son. But he knows exactly who he is and why he's there. And he's just an ordinary carpenter from a tiny town in the countryside. In that moment of very ordinary compassion, he helped God to save all mankind. So what will God do with you? All these little moments of ordinary obedience that are, that are put in your life. Simple things, small things, things that may not seem all that significant. God is molding you and shaping you and you may never even know how one small act of compassion or mercy may shape someone else's life forever. But you can trust that in those ordinary moments, God is still doing a great work. So really, ask yourself as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, how will God work through you? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.